0: Wout Van just won a climbing stage of the 2021 Tour de France, and you knew that was going to happen. Of course you did. Hey, if you know who's going to win tomorrow's stage of the Tour de France, you should play our VeloNews Stage Winner Challenge. All you have to do is go to VeloNews.com forward slash pick. You can register Choose which rider you think Is going to win tomorrow's stage And if you're right, you could win All sorts of fun prizes Like an Outside Plus annual digital membership Or You could win our grand prize A specialized Tarmac SL7 racing bike All you have to do Is go to VeloNews.com Forward slash pick Write down which rider you think is going to win tomorrow's stage. Is it a sprint stage, mountain stage, hilly stage? You know, because you're a super fan. Uh, And if you pick the right winner, you are going to be entered for a chance to win. Again, it's the VeloNews Tour de France Stage Winner Challenge. VeloNews.com forward slash pick. Sign up today. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Bell News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on Wednesday. It is July 7th. We just watched stage 11 of the Tour de France. Thrilling stage that took in Mont Ventoux not once, but twice. And of course... Pro Cycling's Swiss Army knife, Mr. Versatility, Wout Van Aert, uh, attacked into the breakaway, attacked his breakaway companions on the last ascent, and won what's got to be one of the biggest victories of his career. We've seen Wout Van Aert win time trials, we've seen him win bunch sprints, we've seen him win from breakaways, but to see him win a big mountain stage is something else. And I got to tell you, you know, when you think about this era of cycling and how guys like Matthew Van der Poel, Wout Van Aert, Tom Pidcock are really breaking the mold of cycling, uh, we're living in a really interesting and special time. So uh, it was a great watch. On today's podcast, we have James Start and Andrew Hood calling in from the base of Mont Ventoux, offering their analysis of what they saw today and what it was like to be on the mountain. James Start was all over Mont Ventoux today. It's a mountain he knows very well. He was taking photos and he has some, uh, some on the ground, boots on the ground, Takes on uh, what it was like to be on Vontu today and how the fans have definitely returned to the race. Um, then Andy and James are breaking down what to expect as we head towards the Pyrenees and some of these other GC teams try to wrestle the yellow jersey off the back of Tadej Pogachar. And then the biggest race, uh, the one of the biggest stories that we're following—the race, whether or not Mark Cavendish can win, uh, win victory number thirty-four. Uh, we're recording this after stage eleven. Tomorrow, stage twelve, he has a great opportunity to do so. So the guys get into it then second half of the show, we have two interviews. We have Australian Ben O'Connor after the battle on Mont Ventoux. Uh, He was in second place. He lost more than a few placings. Uh, Didn't go that great for him. And we hear from Ben O'Connor. We also have, real treat, Bernard Eisel, Bernie Eisel, who was, you know, real hard man, good sprinter, good ruler. And uh, team captain of the Tour de France for many years. He is now retired, and Andrew Hood caught up with him to talk about some of the dynamics he sees in racing, as well as Mark Cavendish's pursuit of history. So we got Andy and James, then we have Ben O'Connor, and we're going to end today with Bernie Eisel. Thank you so much for listening to the Villa News podcast, and we will talk to you tomorrow.
1: Okay, welcome back to Villain News Podcast from the Tour de France. I'm Andrew Hood here with uh, James Starts. We're sitting in the back of a really, you know, every night the last several days, our Tour de France, just
2: keeps getting better, James, I have to say. Well, you know, we've been kind of eyeing up the GC, I would say. We got off to a slow start, starting winding it up. We're going to start hitting our stride now in the second week. So watch out, maybe in the third week, we're going to be like, we're going to, we're gonna win this race
1: the tour ends in paris as it they does. say um pretty great stage today um james was up on the mountain on the side of on i was hanging because we we spent the night here in Morosan, uh, and uh i hung around the, the start village uh, all day or the finishing town all day today really kind of had a chance to hang out with some fans and, and really check out the scene here so james you know what did you uh talk us
2: about how did you get up on the mountain today where did you hang out and what did you see well it's, uh I, this is one of my absolute favorite mountains and and uh, I've been to met malison many times um climbed it many times and I just i love the venttu I was here about a month ago for the uh denou uh challenge mm-hmm. you know. And it was spectacular, but it's a whole different thing when the tour comes to town. I mean, the crowds were, were back. I believe that they were uh, holding back campers and stuff because there wasn't enough.
1: There was, uh, in fact, the roads were uh, blocked when we rolled into town last night, and they said that indeed the uh, campers were being kept off the mountain for anybody that came late. But you know, huge fans down here in the in the finishing town. It was kind of felt like a, a real tour de France stage again, you know, yes. because uh, people. I mean, I, I came down came down here for breakfast, went out to buy L'Equipe, keep, and I uh, mean already at 10:30 eleven in the morning, people were lining the course
2: and by the time the caravan came through it was four deep all the way through the town. Wow. So uh what did you make of the stage? And we did the uh the big double ascension of the Ventoux. Uh we did that also in the uh Ventou uh Denifle Challenge, but again, this is a tour de France. Yeah, in fact, uh, who, who won there? Didn't uh, Miguel Ángel López win that uh, race? Yeah. And he was kicked off the back
1: very early in today's The Brutal. Yeah, it was interesting to see, um, you know, Ineos really take up the charge early in the stage. Uh, a lot of people were chattering on social media. You know, what are they trying to do? What's their tactic? You know, why not force uh, Umo, force e, e, uh, UAE Emirates to really take control of the, of the stage? So we saw, instead, we saw Ineos out there all day. Uh, comments at the finish line. They were telling uh, us at the finish line today, it's like, oh, we we're trying to win the stage. We we're trying to mo- move up Carapaz. Uh, part one of two kind of worked. but You know, they, they did move up Carapaz, but it's really just because uh, Ben O'Connor got
2: popped. Uh, Carapaz was just following wheels the whole day. Huh? Yeah, and, and they you know they uh, used up a lot of manpower. I mean, uh, Garen Thomas came off uh, on the first time up, and Luke Rowe, I believe, finished out of the time cut. So, that's a very expensive day for Enios, considering the results.
1: Yeah, they didn't get much for it. we saw uh, some
2: pretty uh, heated action there at the end let me just to come back yeah. but I will say that I do still prefer the new Ineos style of racing because you gotta be prepared to lose big if you ever wanna win big and they're taking chances now today didn't work in their favor but I'm glad to see him out there taking it to whoever they possibly can well that's part of the tactic sometimes is keep hammering away it's not gonna be that
1: first blow that's gonna break the ice it could be you know what the impact of the today's stage might be felt uh, in the Pyrenees two or three days from now and you just gotta keep trying. Uh, they do have uh, Ineo still has that train which I, what I think they're missing is the uh, is the conductor mm-hmm. you know they don't have the guy to finish it off they don't have the Chris Froome uh, the egon Bernal at, the, at this tour uh, so it was really interesting dynamics at the top we saw Pogacar you know kind of show maybe a little bit of a crack there but I don't think so people are making a lot of uh, how uh, Vingegaard kind of gapped him there with a kilometer to go but pogachar has a five minute lead so yeah. why, why risk
2: going into the red especially when he knows it's a down nice move by Vingegaard though huh you know young young kid uh just showing that he's not afraid to take chances, also, and not afraid of the yellow jersey. Uh, you know, who would have put money on him coming into this race? I mean, we knew he's a good rider, but we just assumed he's, you know, he's here to help Roglic. And then all of a sudden, he's given his own card to play, and he's doing a tremendous job. And maybe he's got a bigger future than than he even knew.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was big hype about him being a future Tour de France uh, rider. He's got a very strong time trial. He can obviously climb with the best. But yeah, completely surprised by Vingegaard. I think today he moved up to uh, third place on the virtual GC with uh, Rigoberto Urán, Mr. Uh, follow the Wheels and hang in there. Hey, now, now. You know, he's, uh, following the wheels is not easy when you're at the very front <laughs> of the race. There's not many wheels left in front of you. So, you know, Urán did another great job today. Some guys got gapped there at the end. Enric Moss kind of came off. Ben O'Connor, I think, dropped to fifth. Um, but uh, you were up in the mountain, James. What did you see? Uh, you know, where
2: were you parked and what did you see as the riders were going by? I was, uh... Uh, it's about five six hundred from the finishes where they parked us, and then I walked up and down. Uh, the first uh, lap, I was down about two k, just really kind of enjoying the the the, the ventoux without any fans because there's a space where it's pretty pretty open, and, and I just I just love the ventoux for what it is. You know that those last six k out of the trees, just these barren rocks, this barren rock face, and riders. And every time I climb it, I just love it because it's just it's just one of those climbs where. Obviously, there's nowhere to hide. There's no distraction. It's just you and the mountain, and that's what makes it really special to me. And um, so I, you know, really kind of enjoyed that that on the first time because I was in a place where it wasn't just packed with fans and all. And then I moved up, uh, up towards the summit uh, for the second lap, and you know, uh, you know, it was just people. You know, riders were all over the road, right? And and I was surprised. You know, I. I it must be if you're coming off on the first lap. It must be so demoralizing to know you have to go do it again. <laughs> again, indeed.
1: Yeah, that is brutal. I mean, Once you get past the chalet there and it kicks out into the uh, into the rock exposed area, and it's you know it says six k, and you think, well, okay, you know I can manage six k. But anybody that's ridden that six k knows how just brutal it okay. is because that lower half of that mountain is particularly challenging. Uh, what struck me today was just uh, you know they did kind of strip away uh, any help around Pogacar. Today, uh, the last rider there was Rafa Micah. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, perhaps there is, it's a glimmer of hope, I think, for uh, Pagacha's rivals that maybe if they keep hammering away, they can kind of chip away at that kind of, uh, you know, the team around Pagacha and isolate him. Stage. But, but the, you know, the larger point for me is it's like, okay, I mean, a, a Pagacha has a, a five minute lead. You know, to lose five minutes on any mountain stage, I mean, that's a major, major crack. That's a major, uh, you know, bonk where you just, you're pedaling squares. And even today, I didn't see Pagotai really in that major of difficulty at the top of Montu. You know who knows, but I think that the the mountains we have in the Pyrenees are going to favor uh, Charpa even better than today. Uh, we'll see. His team perhaps looks a little bit weaker. That's what the big talking but uh, talking point was. All really this whole first half of this of the Stu de France. We saw a little bit of it today, um, and then of course there was the story at the back of the race, uh, as Jane mentioned. Uh, Luke Rowe was struggling. Uh, the, the big watch was there on Cavendish. Was he going to make it? And I think they made it in. Uh, pretty handily. I think they made it, you know, within several minutes again. Again, it was just Cav with, I think, four quick-step teammates, you know, dragging him
2: across the line. So, Cavendish is in there and in with a chance tomorrow and the next day for sprints. Uh, one one guy that um, popped out of me at the at the back of the race was Nasser Bhwani because uh, he was well behind Cavendish going up the first time. and I was like, man, he's not going to make it. You know, he was back there with Kampanars who ended up dropping out and Luke Rowe and Luke Rowe was out of the time zone and he, had almost caught uh, Cavs group by the time they came over the summer. I thought that was a huge ride that he pulled, and he did it alone. He didn't have any teammates. Wow, wonder how often he got pushed up the hill by fans. No, no. <laughs> and, and then and the, I mean, it's, it is fun being out. There. I love I love being out there. And this, you know, I always love being on a moto because you're right in the thick of it. When you're in a the car, then you have to wait for the broom wagon to come by before you can leave again. Mm. And there's some real special moments there's a sort of communion between the, the the last riders and the fans who you know are waiting there and um, you, and you see things you don't otherwise see if you're on a motor at the front of the race like Cavendish pulled off his helmet and tipped his helmet to the Tom Simpson memorial uh, you, you know if you're not hanging there so the, the last riders you don't see that sort of thing and that, that was you know, a beautiful gesture um, and you know just the, the efforts these guys are doing just to, you know, make it, make that time pit again. So, um, but it's, it's a beautiful day on a beautiful mountain and I'm thinking of it. I, yeah, as a photographer, I see it just, in you know, a sort of um, in such a picturesque way.
1: Yeah, it was interesting too, hanging out here in the, in the finishing town and same thing, the fans were, you know, there hours ahead of the race. Uh, of course, they're there for the the cadeau and the uh, the, the caravan. Just the whole ambiance was cool. Man, people were you know waving their flags. They're out there with family and kids, the grandparents. The whole scene. It was very much like a, a typical Tour de France. Again, especially here in the south, it's warmer. There's more kind of people around, I think, on vacation, than really up in the Alps where it was quite rainy and cold the last couple of days that we were up there. And then same thing. Uh, you know, the first first riders came through, everyone's cheering. But most of the people hang, hung around and waited for the the final groups coming in. Every time someone came by. Huge cheers uh, for the first and for the last place rider. Right? I mean Ale Philippe came by and, yeah. and he was just, you know, he was like the mayor of town, you know, waving at everybody. I mean he's a natural showman, but he's also really I think
2: respects the tour. Sure. And he's just a classy guy. And yeah. And the fans love him for I'm that. Starting to see roadside signs, you know, Aleph for president. <laughs>
1: well, there you go. Maybe he's starting his campaign early. Maybe. Um, you know you've been how many times have you been up in the I've been up there many times sometimes we go uh, to the top and wait for the stages Uh, sometimes we wait kind of uh, mid-course drive over the top Uh, one thing that I always remember was just um, you know way back in the days with Armstrong and, and that famous stage they had with Pontani um, you know where Lance supposedly, you know, let Pontani win. You know that was that was one of the uh, big uh, Vintu moments. And then, of course, the last time we came to Vintu, when it was uh, Running Man, Chris Froome. You know that bizarre stage where uh, he got knocked off his bike with Richard Port in Molama and he was running through the crowds. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that in the Tour de France. I don't think anybody else had either. What are your uh,
2: favorite memories from uh, the Vintu over Both the years, James? I don't. I. I, they melt together. I've done this climb so many. My oldest friends in France live just up the road here. They took over an old farmhouse. I've been here many times. It's the first major mountain I ever climbed, I think, after Alpe d'Huez. Um, I've been here as a cyclist, been here as a, as a photographer. Um, I got One of the years ago, when I was in the, uh, the Criterium, uh, the dauphine Libre and I was in a press car with a journalist, and and I had told him man that this the... You know, the Ventoux is like no other climb, right? And he's like, yeah, okay, okay. So we decided, we got him behind the pack, and we started, we, we said, we'll just pick up the guys who get dropped. And we come, you know, out of Bedouin, we're going up the, this climb, and this is an old French journalist, he's got a cigarette out, his, out, out the, in his finger out the window, you know, and he's driving up behind. You know, Chris Boardman gets popped, I think Tony Romer gets popped, and guys are just... All over the road, and he's like, "Oh, it doesn't seem like it's that hard, huh?" <laughs> it takes another track, but it is. I mean, it is. That's just that. that first, those first ten k, that wall mm-hmm. is so demoralizing. The pitches are so steep. There's very little air. Uh, often, if it's hot or something, it's just hard to get air in the in the woods. And the pitch is constant. And too. It's constant. There's no. There's a Even one like switchback. One switchback, and it's just there's no hiding on that climb. Yeah, and then you come out, and if there's any wind, well, then it's like you go every. You're, there's it kind of zigzags up the mountain, so you go out of every turn. You're either getting a little push of the wind, or you're getting a full on your face, and it's just brutal. How was it was up there today? It wasn't too bad. It wasn't much of a factor mm. today that I saw. It was co- much colder than it is down here, but it wasn't uh, wasn't a terribly terribly big factor. Because uh, but it wasn't until towards the end that the sun came back out. You know, it was fairly mm. overcast. Mm. Um, I know, because I was like, um, this is not good for my pictures. <laughs> but uh, it's just its a magnificent climb. So, I don't have like, you know, I'm not thinking. I remember Armstrong and Fontani for sure. Um, I think Fironc won it one year. Uh, I remember, you know, some of the, the Dauphiné ones. I just, I just celebrate the climb more than anything. I yeah. think it's just a stupendous climb.
1: It was interesting comments today from uh, Christian Perdome, I believe, one of the French papers saying that uh, the Ventoux is such a special climb that they don't want to bring the tour here too often hmm. to, to kind of uh, take away from the mystique or the, the you know, the, the, the grandeur of the climb. You know, it becomes commonplace. So we kind of diminish the value of the climb. It becomes climb. like the Altouez. Well, wow. yeah, but they're even yeah, we've been to quite a few years. No, ago. we haven't. But but that that's kind of the, 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 his thinking was is like you know the the Vontour is so special. We're just gonna come here. You know every you know it's
2: been five years. Yeah, that's that's good. That makes it worthwhile. And you know there are classic stages like that. I mean I'm. I wish you know i wish we'd go back to bordeaux i mean that was such an epic sprint stage and we almost never do anymore mm. um and there's but you know every couple of years have these places like this is, is good um and and also i think you're like i was up top and i was walking around they have some paths like you can like shortcut from the 500 mark up to the top and at one point i cut across and they were not police officers, but they were sort of environmental. Maybe mm. they, they were rangers, I don't know. Mm. They said, No, no, you have to go this way and I just said, Well, why? And, you know, I said, for environmental reasons. We're trying to if everybody walks every everywhere, then um, you know, these rocks get etched out and you know, it's just not good for this and and you know, the the rock face is, is actually pretty vulnerable. Get out of the wind all the time and everything. And he said and then he just said, you know, it's you know, we're fortunate already that we're even able to bring the tour, some some such big event up here, because it, the environment up here, this little microcosm of the summit, is, is actually pretty delicate. Sure. Um, so I, I had never thought about that. You know, it's such a the giant of Provence is, is so mighty and over overpowering. You wouldn't think it'd be vulnerable at all, but I guess it is. I and mean, maybe that's another reason why they can't really come up every year.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting in the, in the town here in Montesong. It was the, they said it was the first time actually a stage has ever finished in yes. Account, yes. Uh, because it's right at the base of Mont Ventoux, so of course they always get the buzz from Mont Ventoux. And just here in town, is great Amiante. You know, there several bike shops here selling T-shirts. Yeah. You know, I climbed Mont Ventoux. All the cyclists were here in town. Uh, I had a nice lunch down here in a cafe, and you know, kind of enjoyed the day, nice. enjoyed the ambiance. Uh This earlier kind of early early French lunch. So anyway, that we'll wrap it up here from uh, our little terrace here and uh, the base of Mont Ventoux. We'll check in a few days. All Thank right. you.
0: Fight and uh, it was uh, difficult for the second, the
2: second time?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I was obviously suffering. I think everyone could see that, but uh, I did my... I tried to do what I could do to, to stay with, to stay within the time. And yeah, I was exploding, but uh, I did my best, so that's what
2: matters. What is one of your hardest fight uh, in your career today?
3: What, yeah. yeah, probably, for, for sure. Oh, probably the only time is when I've been very sick. Uh, last year in the Giro but otherwise I would say that was the hardest in-race kind of moment I was just completely a block and uh, I think suffering both from just Vontu itself and, uh, and the heat a little so here's to better days Well now you're fifth in the GC what does it mean and what do you think uh, for, for the future? I mean I guess it's yeah I mean it's so amazing I mean yeah. it's, it's a position I still didn't think I would be in so uh, hopefully when we get to the next couple of days I can improve and then in Andorra um, when I get home I can have a good one so yeah, yeah you, you prefer uh, Tyrenees and Alps? Uh, I hope so <laughs> I think I prefer any climb over Vontu so <laughs> here we go
1: with uh, Bernie Eisel now back in the day Bernie when you guys were racing were you aware of where you are and what stage it was and how things were moving around France
3: oh yeah you always I mean the road book you get it's like your your bible your daily bible and you just uh, try to avoid to look through at the beginning of it you're like I don't want to see what's coming up but when you get the moment you're still like oh this is going to be a bad day this is going to be a hard day funny enough I think some stages that looked okay this year's tour just turned out to be hell so <laughs> i'm really feeling for the riders i'm just happy i am not on the other side of the fence anymore i think i would have with yeah it's, it, it was incredible this tour it's like entertaining but also i hope that rest day really gave them the chance to recover and also the day stage so they are fresh for the next five hard days that are waiting for them and then uh, until the next rest day because otherwise we don't probably see such an animated race anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this first week of this race, uh, seems like the GC is already, already a lock. Why, why do you think it was such a hard uh, part of the first week of this tour this year compared to other years?
3: We are discovering uh, modern cycling, uh, intelligent cycling. All teams come, trying to come with the best teams. Some probably have the programming not right but at the same time what they do they look out where we have the biggest chance how could we change the outcome of the race so it, it's perfect for us and that's what they do and that's why we see so much racing and like every day something unsuspected. because that's it's crazy but it's great to watch I mean who, who would have thought that Israel's startup nation takes it on till the first climb uh, to have Woods in the break or then uh bike exchange takes it on to drop calf for the uh, intermediate sprint I mean this is just like pretty much we never saw that before or at, at least not till last year and that's yeah I think I call it modern cycling
1: and another part of modern cycling is uh, the ever-increasing traffic furniture in these little villages. That was a big talking point really in the first week of this tour. I mean, is that going to be a serious challenge for the future of a race like the Tour de France? Because we like to take it to the small roads, the small towns, but every town is full of chicanes, speed bumps, ballards, traffic islands. It's hard to organize a bike race.
3: Oh, uh, it is. It is hard to really organize a bike race. I think it will not be that bad, as everybody says, because I think public transport will change also completely. And even in countryside, uh, it doesn't mean you have to drive everywhere all the time or with your own car. I think that's going to be future step but uh, what I think is a bit crazy from all the towns them trying to make the traffic a bit slower uh, what I know what really works is just section controls everywhere it's like so everybody holds his speed and you don't need like uh, at, at every entrance of a little town you need uh, some Polgs and it's it's a bit crazy how everything turned out in in the middle of nowhere so that's uh, yeah but I mean the roads are designed to slow down do you a bike they have to go to and the other thing is what I never got my head around is also for yeah heavy traffic like big trucks it's also nearly impossible to get through anymore why they are not removable so there is new technology new ideas coming out every single moment why is it why you can't just take them off it's like they're just with some holes in the in the ground and on the tarmac you take them off put them back on I mean it's like it can't be that difficult to to make such things but everybody wants to have it like because what they use is plastic anyway it's not they gonna have like nice uh, flower pots or something or really make it sound nicer it's just plastic everywhere is plastic so and make it removable so Easier. <laughs> Easier.
1: Now, of course, uh, you're a right-hand man of uh, Mark Cavendish throughout much of his career. Uh, you know, Mark's resurgence, you know, he, he even thought his career was over for the Tour de France. Got the final, you know, last hour kind of invitation to get in there. And uh, are you surprised to see Cavendish winning these stages?
3: Honestly, yes. I mean, uh, how, and especially how he won the races. But uh, it was uh, more the moment when I saw him in Turkey. From that moment on, I wasn't surprised anymore. I, When he was selected for the tour, I was like, he's gonna win, he's gonna probably break the record he doesn't want to talk about. But it was Turkey when I saw him winning the stage, the speed he had, searching, surfing the wheels, and being at the right spot at the right moment, freewheeling sometimes, that's how we know him. And that makes him the best sprinter, yeah of all decades for me and so it, it wasn't a surprise that he wins here it was just uh, in Turkey I was like he's back so and yeah keeps writing a few episodes more of his <laughs> legacy <Okay. laughs> now what, what
1: was it that Kevin just struggled with the last couple of years We you know he was sick you know he wasn't really uh, perhaps in the best place for him uh, psychologically or even sporting wise no but what's changed for him now coming back to the soonest I,
3: I think he just left it behind it's like uh, I went through the same when you mentioned on the limit and or going through all this mental stress all your career expectations Everybody's like, okay, he's done he's not going to win a bike race anymore over 13 years we heard it like 10 times and or he heard it so he always had to respond to that and it was never enough because that's expectations we have to ask questions you have to write something about it so you can't always write okay it's, it's definitely going to come back because it didn't look like but at the same time he's uh, he left it behind that mental stress he had and didn't look for any excuses anymore he knew if I want to win by races again I have to go to the best team well I I did it and that's the Koenig and that's what he did and he he was yeah a bit of luck to be in the tour but he knew okay that's 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 my last chance now so and he took it and that's uh, what sets him apart uh, like, 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 like Chris Froome Garen Thomas these guys who keep repeating their success year by year Egan Bernal why they're different, why they're so successful, because they are just stronger. Um, you see
1: there's possibilities for, for not only equaling equal than Mark's record, but might beat like it, it? There's like five
3: stages for him to be uh, Yes, uh, there's definitely a chance, but uh, I like his approach. He's going in day by day, because like we also said, he doesn't know the team tactics changed a little bit with Philippe now, not being competing anymore, so that opens up a little bit more for him again to think about the record and the champs say Still a long way to go, but fingers crossed it will happen. I mean, Eddie said at in an interview, uh, I want an all-terrain, right? but still, it would stop the discussion who was the best sprint in the world over the time. The
1: conversation will be over. Yeah, that
3: will be over. It's Mark. All right. Thanks for the time. No worries, mate. See you.